Well, this morning really is something. It's, it's not only is it June 9th day, uh, but it really is uh, it's Pentecost this morning. And if, if you're curious, like, what is Pentecost? Don't you worry. That's what I'm going to explain this morning. But just know for this moment that it's actually today's Pentecost. And, and what we've been doing as a church is we talked on Easter, we talked the resurrection. Leading up to that, we talked about things that were leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then on Easter Sunday, we talked about the resurrection. And since Easter Sunday, we've been talking about resurrection stories. And so places that Jesus showed up and what did he teach them and what did he show them? And not only did he show them his physical presence, but he was reminding them that they're still on mission. They're still on mission. And originally when Jesus called the disciples, the call was to come. Come and follow. Come and follow. That's what he says. He calls, the, especially the, uh, the fishermen, he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so for three years, that's all they did. If Jesus was there, they went there. If Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem, they would go to Jerusalem. If Jesus says, let's go to the Galilee, they would go to the Galilee. But after he leaves and he's preparing them, it's going to be now a go and proclaim. So really, I think a lot of the the resurrection stories is Jesus is trying to, to transition the call from come and follow to now go and proclaim. And so this is what we see in what Jesus has told them. As we saw last week, Jesus ascended into heaven. And before he ascended to heaven, he said, I want you to go wait in Jerusalem for the, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to read this morning. He's going to come on you in power, and you will be my witnesses to the world. And so that, is, that has been the, the claim. Now for this idea of this baptism by the Holy Spirit, as we said we're going to talk about this morning, is that there is long this idea that the Spirit is going to dwell within people. Now this is, a, I think, one of the boldest claims of Christianity, which is that we, we proclaim that we have the Spirit of God in us. Not just over us, not around us, not even just the Spirit of God that is for us, but the Spirit of God that has taken residency in us. And so this is, I think, one of the, the bold claims of Christianity. But what, what you see in the Bible is actually, it wasn't, Jesus isn't the first one that even said it. When Jesus says, you know, John baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Spirit, and I'm never going to leave you. Is he go, oh, that's Jesus' claim. I go, well, it is Jesus' claim. But people had said that before him. Actually, we talked about John the Baptist. Remember last week, if you were here, he said, you know, John baptized you with water. I'm going to baptize you in the Spirit. This is actually what John says in the beginning of his ministry. You know, the people wanted John to be the Messiah, and so they kept on asking him, are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist kept on saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. The Messiah is still yet to come. And so, and to answer the question, are you the Messiah? And then in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, he says, John answered them. They're like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? He's like, no. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to, I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so even John has been teaching this from, he's like, I baptize you now, but really someone else's greater is coming. The Messiah is on his way. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with his spirit 
and he's going to baptize you with fire. And so really when Jesus says it, all, he, all he's doing is just reaffirming what John had already said. Because, and so when Jesus said, we saw last week, uh, John baptized you with water, I'm going to baptize you with the Spirit. And go, yes, that's been the proclamation. But interesting, more interesting than that is that it goes beyond Luke. And, and John, John is, is, is he's recorded in Luke. It goes beyond that. In fact, actually, there's all sorts of places in the Old Testament many of which I could take you, I'm going to take you to one, but many of which I could take you that says that there is coming a day when the Spirit of God is going to be like on humanity or in humanity. And so we are longing for this day. At that time in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was only in one place, in the temple. That was it. And what, what we see in the Old Testament is the plan was always that the Spirit of God would take up residency in humanity. And so to give you the one place, I want to take you to this place this morning. It's sort of a longer passage, but we're going to find it in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37. And this is going to be, as you may be even familiar with the story, the Valley of the Dry Bones. And it's a vision, and, and, and God, God has this conversation with Ezekiel as, it's, as goes as follows. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, referring to Ezekiel, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay the sinews upon you and you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, and there were sinews on them. And the flesh had come upon them. And the skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will open your graves, raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves, 
and raise you from your graves, O people, and I will what? I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, then you will know, you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now, yeah, amen. Now, that was a long passage, yeah. What I want you to draw from that is that what's happening there is he's saying that there's coming a time when the Spirit will be in you. And if the Spirit is in you, there is life. If the Spirit is not in you, there is not life. And this is what happens, right? He goes, and the bodies were formed, but they still were not alive. They had the bones, they had the skin, they had the flesh, they had the body, but they had no spirit. And because they had no spirit, they were not alive. And so then he says, prophesy unto them that the breath or the spirit, the breath like we see in Genesis, the breath that would come on them, and when the spirit is on them, they will have life. If there is no spirit, there is no life. It's coming a day. Then John comes by and says, I baptize you with the water, but the Spirit's on its way. And then Jesus says, I have to go so that the Spirit may come. And as we saw last week, he said, right, John baptized you with water, but just in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to come into you and you will have life. Now, let's read Pentecost. You got your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues... As of, uh, sorry, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and this, as the Spirit gave them utterances. And so Pentecost, which really Pentecost, by the way, just means 50. It's just, it's, a, it's kind of Greek for 50. So you're like, oh, I thought it was more spectacular. Nope, this is, this, it's a number. And really it's referring to the 50 days that comes after Passover. Now, as it says here, as they were gathered for Pentecost, or they were gathered for the 50, is actually there is something. Now, in our Christian context, Pentecost means, is in reference to this moment, this day, this time. But actually, it was in reference to something else before it was in reference here to what we understand to be the, 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 the giving of the Holy Spirit. And actually, they were, they were gathered together for as what was called the, uh, the, the Festival of Weeks or uh, the, 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 day of the, the first day of the harvest. And so this would come 50 days after Passover, and they were actually required to, by, by Levitical law, they were required to, to, um, to, to come to Jerusalem for this festival. And so all of the people, they came for Passover. Some would stay because it's like to go home and then to come back in 50 days. That's a long journey. So depending on how far they were coming from, they might even stay in Jerusalem or the surrounding area so that they could be in Jerusalem for the Festival of Weeks. And what it is, is, is it, what, it was like the first part of the wheat harvest. And so that what they would do is they would take the first part of the wheat harvest and then they would dedicate that to the Lord. The idea is that you give God from the, the, from the first 
not from the last. You give God before anything else comes in, not if there's something left over. And we see this in, 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 in uh, Israel's history. And Jesus, and Jesus talks about it. God talks about it. But you're giving God like, the last and the worst. Like, God, I'm going to take care of myself. And then if, if, if after I'm done doing that, if, if there's still enough left over, then I will, I will give to your kingdom. I'll give to your purposes. And what the Festival of Weeks says, no, no, you take the very, the, the very beginning. What happens if the crop is destroyed after that? Yeah, what happens after that? In fact, to give God the first and the best is actually a step of faith. To say that, God, God I'm going to give you off the top. Here you go. So they are, they are gathering together for the purposes of, of understanding that, that the, the, uh, the, the festival of the harvest, the harvest has started. This is the beginning of the harvest. Now, the second reason why they would have gathered for celebration, and this one we're not sure. We know it's happening, I think, by the, at least the second century, and quite possibly is happening in this time, is that, is, is that the, the Pentecost, this day, is also attributed the, to the day of which God gave the law. from uh, God, The law, the Ten Commandments, came from God, and it was given to Moses. And so it's not only the day of the celebration of the harvest, but also the celebration of the day in which God gave the law to Moses, which we would understand to be God entered into covenant with the Mosaic people. Several years ago now, I was actually in Jerusalem by, by happenstance. I was in Jerusalem uh, for, for Pentecost. And, uh, and as I woke up, I was like, this is, it, was, it was meaningful to me. I was like, I, I, I wanted to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. There I was. And so as I got up in anticipation of the day, I was like, I'm just going to, I want to walk the city, which is in the quiet morning of the city, and think about what that morning would have been like. But as I got up, people were pouring out of the city. I mean, just in, in droves. And so I, I, I was much busier than I anticipated. And so I had asked somebody, I said, what's happening? And they go, oh, today is the day that they all celebrate the giving of the law to Moses. And they've been up since midnight studying, studying the law of Moses at the wall. And I thought, whoa, and I didn't know this. But I was like, so you're telling me that they are celebrating the, basically the Mosaic Covenant. They go, yes, they're, they're celebrating the Mosaic Covenant on the very day that we are celebrating the New Covenant. Yeah, I go, hmm. Seems to me that God gets dates. Seems to me that God knows what he's doing. And so when we think about the timing of Pentecost, right? Jerusalem is gathered to celebrate the harvest. And not only just people in Jerusalem, but they've gathered from all over the world to what? To celebrate and remember the harvest. To celebrate and to remember the covenant. And God is getting ready to do a new work for a new covenant and a new harvest. And I think to myself, when did you think he was going to do it, right? I mean, it's like, it's so perfect. It is so perfectly lined up. And he goes, and this is what happens. And then what it tells us is then suddenly, they're all gathered. The disciples here, it's probably actually the disciples, probably the, one, the 120. Now we're back at 12 disciples. It says then suddenly, suddenly it came in. Suddenly the room filled. Suddenly there was a sound. If you've been here since Easter, it may not seem like suddenly, right? <sighs> been talking about Pentecost now for, I don't know, it seems like 50 days. <laughs> I have. Suddenly, you go, yeah, 
And that's just kind of how, how God works. Wait, 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 wait. Suddenly. God, now, nope, now, nope, now, nope, now, nope, nope, now, now go. And I had a seminary prof that once told me, he says that typically, generally speaking, it takes God longer to work than what we would like. And when he does work, he moves faster than we would like. And so he takes longer than we would like. And when he does actually start moving and, act, and, and working, he actually moves like, slow down. Like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Now slow down. And we see this. Suddenly, suddenly it fills. Uh, sorry, suddenly the, the room fills. It says this wind, this fire. Remember, John the Baptist said this. It's going to baptize you with, with the Spirit and with fire. Both uh, the wind and the New and the Old Testament, we see the wind being, being a representation of the presence of God. We also see fire in the Old Testament and the New Testament as being the presence of God. Think burning bush, right? And so it, it, there, there's this purifying, this purifying act of fire. And so we see both the wind and the fire. And it's descending upon, and it says that they are, that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. And I go, what this would have been like. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that room? And even this, you go, so you, I, I was prepping for this week, like, trying to get a mental picture of this. Like, I, my, my mind couldn't even wrap around it. Well, this is why I think even, even Luke here, the author, he, he says, well, it was like, it was like a, a, a mighty rush. Like, that's what it sounded like. That's not what it was. It wasn't, an, it wasn't as, oh, necessarily a wind, but it sounded like that. And it was as if, it was, it was like, kind of like this, as fire, like tongues of fire. And so you can even tell with Luke as he's describing it, as he's, he's gathered accounts, he's like, well, there's, not, there's no word that could ever describe what happened, so we're going to give you, it was, it was kind of like this. If, we, if I had to put words to it, these are the words that I would put to it. And what I love about this, because what it says is that the Holy Spirit filled all of them, it rested on each one of them, and that they were given utterances, and that they were speaking in tongues. And so what I saw here was that there was this, there was this equality, right? They all got it. It was on everybody. It wasn't, and then it, it was on certain people, but not others. There was this equality. They all got it. There was this unity, the Spirit, gave, the Spirit is the one that is giving all of the utterances. So there's this unity. But there's also this diversity where there's multiple languages that are being spoken. And I thought, isn't this beautiful? Equality, diversity, and yet unity. I thought there's three things that our world so longs for right now in this moment. You know what it is? Equality, diversity, but yet unity. And we so long for it. I mean, you read the news, read all, all, all the critiques of our culture right now. We so long for it. And the interesting thing about this equality, unity, and diversity is that we think it should be ours. So that's the whole thing. Like We, should, we think we should be a, a, a country or a culture that, that has unity and uh, diversity and equality. 
But at the same time, we seem really frustrated because we can't achieve it. We want it. It feels like it should be true. We should live in that utopian society. But at the same time, we're equally frustrated because we go, we should be further along than this. And I talk to people who don't, you know, that, that aren't Christians or just secularists or humanists. And they go, this should be us. We should be moving in this direction. I would go, I agree. But hear me on this. Unless the Spirit of God brings about the unity and the diversity and the equality, it will not be achieved. We will not achieve unity and diversity and equality based on humanity, but only by the Spirit of God. And what we see happens is when the Spirit of God moves, it's a natural outpouring of it. So, they're all there, the Spirit, and then, and then the languages start to be spoken. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And, as, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, and Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, that's the passage you're afraid someone's going to assign you to read out loud. <laughs> I'm going to butcher them all. But, but, but don't get lost in that list. What the idea here is that they were people from all over speaking multiple languages and they were all of a sudden they thought to themselves, I hear, I hear my own language being spoken. And so because of the 120 of them, they started shouting and shouting and praising the utterance of God. That was one thing. But the other thing was that people started hearing their own languages. Like, That's my language. That's the country where I come from. We speak that language. You can pick that out in the crowd. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a foreign country before. Now, if you travel for, to foreign countries, is that English is, is fairly widely spoken. But if you spend some time outside of major cities, it's less, it's so basically in, in, in the cities, the big cities, it's spoken more, more commonly. But the further you get out from cities, the less it's spoken. And I've spent some time in this, the places outside those cities. And I'll tell you this, you spend any sort of time in the country or you don't speak the language, it gets very tiring. But I'll also tell you this, if I'm in a coffee house full of people and languages are going, if somebody starts speaking English, I'm like, oh, I heard English. Who spoke English? And I will gravitate to that person. I'm like, you speak English? Like, yeah, I do. Like, oh, can we talk? Because I've spent the last week not talking to anybody, and I'm an extrovert, and so that's been torture. And so, <laughs> so could we just have a conversation? So there is this, this, you know, when you hear your language being spoken, you can actually, you really can pick it out in a crowd. You go, oh, 
They're speaking my language. Now, this is very interesting because this is what happens here is the Spirit has descended, and it's as if, like, you couldn't speak, you couldn't speak Spanish or you couldn't speak, you know, uh, Korean or, or, or Japanese, and then all of a sudden, you could speak it. And this is what we see. They were baptized in the Spirit, causing them to speak foreign languages. And in, their, in the foreign languages that they were speaking, they were speaking the utterances of God, which were, as we saw here, the mighty works of God. So this is what's happening at Pentecost. They're speaking a foreign, all of a sudden they're speaking a foreign language, and they're given utterances by the Spirit that are proclaiming the mighty works of God so that everyone that is there hears it's being spoken in their own language. Now, you may be unfamiliar with Christianity, and if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, you may even be familiar with Christianity, but you may be unfamiliar with this idea that this passage is somewhat controversial and uh, because of the speaking in tongues. Now, this is, so if you're not familiar with this conversation, it's going to be like this. It's kind of like when you go into a new environment and you, you bring up a topic and then the room gets quiet because you're like, oh, that's, that's awkward here, isn't it? You're like, yeah, yeah, because you didn't know. You, you hit a subject that you didn't know that you walked into. It's controversial. Here it's controversial. And it's controversial because there is a, there is a subset, and I would say a subset of Christianity that, 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 that has great beliefs in what happened here and is built um, as, as they would be called Pentecostals. And there's this distinctive belief among Pentecostals now, this is going to, 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 um, to be a little bit different depending on who you talk to, but, but the, the, the basic general belief of the Pentecostals is that when you become a Christian, you get the Spirit of God, to which I would agree, absolutely. When you become a Christian, absolutely, 100%, you get the Spirit of God. And what then it would go on to say is that in the Spirit of God, that the, the natural manifestation, the normal manifestation of the Spirit of God is to speak in tongues, and so that's the net. so how you know that you're truly saved. So if you have the Spirit, you're saved, right? If there's no Spirit, no life. If you have the Spirit, you're saved. And the way that you would know, and other people would know that you truly have the Spirit in you, is that you can speak in tongues. Because that's the natural manifestation of, of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is that part of this belief is then taken from Pentecost. Look what happened when the Spirit descended upon the believers, is that then they start, everyone, all of them, not just some of them, not just a few of them, not even most of them, but they all started to speak in tongues. Now, in the Pentecostal, with a, with a Pentecostal belief, is this, there's this idea that they're speaking this unknown prayer language. It's typically when they say speaking in tongues, what they're referring to is speaking in an unknown prayer language. Now, there's a lot of information I know, but, but later on, the Apostle Paul, he writes a letter to the Corinthians, and in the letter to the Corinthians, he addresses this idea of speaking in tongues. And what he says in there, in the idea of speaking in tongues, is he, he puts it as a, as a spiritual gift. But like all spiritual gifts, some have them, and not, but not, not everybody has every gift. In fact, he actually says this is in 1 Corinthians. You can actually read all of this in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, this is out of 1 Corinthians 14. So 1 Corinthians 14, it's not up here, but I, I'm going to read it to you. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to, not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, 
but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And so when Paul talks about speaking in tongues, what he says is that they they are, in in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, is that what he's saying is they're speaking this language to God. And, and at some level, because they, they don't even know what they're saying. But this, this is a prayer language to God that they don't know what they're saying. And so then we have this use that we see in Acts. And we have this use of the, of the word tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 and 4, 13 and 14. And I think often what happens is that, what happens is the, is that the definition that Paul gives us of tongues is then imported into Acts chapter 2. And just because the Bible uses the same word doesn't mean that it means the same thing. And I would say in those places, what does our context tell us? Because context will tell us a lot. Just because Paul uses it and just because Luke uses it doesn't mean that they're talking about the same thing. I thought about that this week. The statement like, ah, like he's sick. You know, what, what, is that? What, do you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? I was like, well, if I'm, if I'm coming out of a hospital room and I say, yeah, he's, he's so sick, it probably means that he's not well. But if I'm watching a baseball game and the shortstop makes a great play and from his knees throws a strike to the first baseman just to get the runner, he goes, ah, oh, he's so sick. Yeah, he's so sick. Like, he's not well. He looks pretty well to me. Like, I mean, and I mean, everybody in their right mind would be like, oh, I know exactly what you're saying, right? Why? Because we're letting, we're letting context at some level define it. And I think that actually both Luke and, I think in, in Acts, Luke and Paul do a really good job of saying, this is what I'm talking about. So actually, Paul, he's not talking about speaking other languages. He's talking about a heavenly prayer language that is to God that is actually not even understood by the person speaking it. And then Luke goes way beyond to say, no, no, these were foreign languages being spoken and, and actually people understood. They're like, that's my language. You're speaking, you know, in our case, like you're speaking Spanish or you're speaking Korean or you're speaking Russian. And so, so we should not, I would say, we should not confuse the two. And so... I think Paul uses the term differently than what Luke uses it in Acts chapter 2. And I think both do a really good job of explaining what they mean by tongues in their context. In our context in Acts chapter 2, in Pentecost, they are known languages that are being spoken all of a sudden. It would be as if all of a sudden I could speak a foreign language to somebody who could then hear the gospel in their own language. That's what's happening in Luke chapter 2. The other question that comes up, and there's multiple questions in the controversy, the first question is, is, is the tongues the same thing? And I would say, no, it's not the same thing. They're different. I believe it's a spiritual gift, but like all spiritual gifts, not held by everybody. But what's happening in Acts 2 is different. So then the question becomes, is it normative? Is this a normal way in which this, this happens? Uh, you can you can think about the you can think about it like this, the the Bible at times is prescriptive and sometimes it's descriptive. In other words, there's time in the Bible is just it's just telling us a story, it's saying this is what it was like, this is what this is what it looked like, this is what it sounded like, this is what this person said. 
There's other times when the Bible is prescriptive in the sense of, now go and do likewise. I'm telling you what to do. And even when you're trying to understand what the Bible is telling you, you're actually trying to figure this out. What is it just describing a story, and then what is it trying to tell me, now go and do likewise? To give you an example of this, maybe you could take the idea of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? When they were, they were, they were thrown into the furnace because they would not bow to the idol. And say, worship no other gods. And say, if you don't worship the other god, we're going to throw you into the, we're going to throw you into the furnace. And basically they say, well, our, you, you can do what you want to do. We're not going to bow to your idol and our god can save us. And so then they're thrown into the furnace, three of them. They see four people walking around, and then when they're called out of the furnace, they don't even smell like smoke. Whoa! Now, if you read that story, and you go, that's a prescriptive story. I should go into a furnace, and let the, and let the Lord protect me. You go, that would, be, that would not end well, probably, for you. Uh, that would not go well. Maybe you could even actually go a step further that says, if you make a stand for God, he'll never let you burn like that. And I go, but there's, there's, there's a problem there. Because we know throughout church history, people have been burned for their faith. And he did not protect them in the same way that he protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so, so in this, so then we start to ask questions. Is this normative? Is this more descriptive than it is necessarily prescriptive? And what I would say with Acts chapter 2 is I would say that the filling of the Holy Spirit is normative, yes, but the speaking in tongues and foreign languages is not normative. And it's otherwise abnormal. The filling of the Spirit is ordinary. The, being, the, the ability to speak a foreign language all of the sudden is I would label that as extraordinary. And part of this, as far as we understand, they did not retain the ability to speak foreign languages, right? So it's not like, and then, and then from that point on, you know, uh, you know uh, Peter knew a new language. Like, no, like as far as we know, after this moment, they go back to just their regular languages that they know. You know, I, I've got many of missionary friends who have spent hours upon hours in language school who wish this was the normative experience, right? <laughs> who wish that as soon as they were called to missions in, in Mexico, they could speak Spanish. It was like, wow, the Spirit has called me and the Spirit gave me Spanish. They're like, may it be so, may it be so. But you're probably going to have to go to a lot of school, you know, so may it be so. So I don't think this is normative. I believe that, that God and the Spirit can do this. I believe that the Spirit of God still does this today. I have no doubt that, that the Spirit of God, I've, I've heard stories about the Spirit of God can all of a sudden give information and knowledge of something that they didn't have information or knowledge of before. And then as soon as it serves its purpose, which is the glorifying of God, the telling of the mighty acts, gone. And we have to be very careful to turn that extraordinary thing and then expect it to be the ordinary experience. So I think what happened here, I think the filling of the Spirit, absolutely ordinary and can be expected by every believer. Everyone who becomes a Christian will be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think the ability to speak a foreign language all of the sudden is an extraordinary experience that God can still do today. He just doesn't tend to. Now, with what Paul talks about, because I know that some of you in this church might even identify as Pentecostal, and I know some of you in this church do speak tongues to which I want to affirm that. 
to say, yeah, I, I believe that's a, I, yes, that's a spiritual gift that's just different than what's being talked about in Acts. And like all spiritual gifts, and actually Paul even says it, not everyone can speak in tongues. And so I want to affirm it, but not make it the normative experience. Were, you, were, were we clear with that? So that I think this is what's happening here. There's normative that, that everyone will experience the Spirit, not normative that everybody would start speaking foreign languages. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with a new wine. And so, next week I'm actually going to cover Peter's sermon that's going to flow out of this. It's going to come on this day. So that's going to be next week, Peter's sermon. But the experience is, some people say, what does this mean? Other people say, nah, they're just, they're drunk. And I love, by the spoiler alert, Peter's going to say it. Next week, he's like, it's far too early for that. Like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's far too early for that. Not like, no, never. He's like, no, it's just, it's just too early for that. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> and so what, what he says, so, so some, people, some people ask questions. Other people mock. Interesting. They all experience the Spirit of God move. They're all experiencing the same thing with two totally different reactions. That's why a lot of times we think, if God, 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 if you would just move in a new way, it would bring about everything new and everybody would believe. You go, no, no. These people are experiencing this story. Some of it see it and they go, ah, yeah, I got some questions. I really do. Other people go, nah, no, no questions. They're just, they're, they're crazy. They're drunk. And they go, that, that, that actually just in a beautiful way summarizes how most people interact with God's movement. But here is the thing that I thought about this week. Is one of my prayers is that God would move, move in a new way. Like move in a new way in our church, move in a new way in our country, among these people in this world. But I have to come to the realization that that new way may not be a, play, a way in which I'm comfortable with or that I may not even like. But just because I'm not comfortable with it and don't like it doesn't mean that it's not the Spirit of God. And so if I was thinking, if, if God, if you, Spirit, if you move in a new way, may I be open to it? May I ask questions? Sometimes I hear about somebody doing something new that's in Christ. I'm like, oh, I got some, I mean, I've got some questions. I don't want to be like, because it's new and different, it's of the devil. I, mean, I, I want to ask questions. Wait, are they proclaiming Christ? Are they standing on the, God's word? Are they proclaiming Christ as him, as him crucified and resurrected as Lord? Are they calling for the repentance of sins? Are they, are they holding up God's word as, well, God's word? These sorts of things. I'm asking these kinds of questions. And I start checking those boxes like, yeah, well, maybe the spirit, Spirit's moving. Spirit might be doing something new, which is what I want. And like I said, even in the beginning, and the Spirit of God passes, passes His will in front of no human counsel. And so my, my, my job isn't to, to give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. My, my job is to ask questions and not just to reject it as, as these people are crazy. And so, I was also thinking about this day. And I think what it would have been like to live in this day. You know? Like what it would have been like to be in that room, to, to see... To, to hear, 
to experience people speaking multiple languages all of a sudden, and then to draw a crowd, and that's what we're going to find out next week. Peter's going to give a sermon, and 3,000 people are going to come to faith. And I go, man, what that day must have been like. And what it would have been to be in that day. How encouraging that would have been, and how exciting that would have been. 3,000 people, a crowd, God moving in great ways. But then I thought to myself, maybe it's not so impressive after all when we start thinking about our day. You know, there's a lot to be said right now of people like there's, there's a real discouragement in the church. Christianity is under fire. And we look back and we see a revival like this and we go, oh, oh, what it would have been like to be a part of this day. 3,000 people coming to faith, multiple languages being spoken. But then I thought to myself, is it possible that we are in a greater day than this? Now, I don't mean greater day by significance. I mean greater day by fruit. You know, the Bible has now been translated into over 650 different languages. 650. Do you know that the estimates, and it's hard to get the the number, but the estimate of people that will become Christian this next year is 65 million people worldwide. You go, whoa. I did the math, by the way, on that. That's 70, about, about 75 or 74 to 7,500 people an hour coming to faith. <laughs> we, you may think like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's totally different, Josh. That's totally different. No, 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 that's totally different. I go, you're right. It is totally different. 3,000 in one day is totally different than 7,500 in an hour. Not even close. Not even the same ballpark. We read this day and we go, what it would be like to live in this day. I think that at some level they would read of our day and go, man, what that must have been like. See, there's a great, there's a great, there's a great tragedy and a great temptation to look at the past and think those are the good old days. And miss this idea that we are living in the midst of God's work in a new way. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said this to the disciples. He said to them, basically, I'm going to go to the Father. You're going to stay here, and you're going to do greater works. Which which should should shock you, and as it would have shocked the disciples at the time. I mean, think about what they saw. Walking on the water, um, feeding the 5,000. You know, these like miracles, uh, raising people from the dead, these sorts of things. And then Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than I. And I think about what that would have, like, like, what do you mean? Like, are we going to like run on the water? You know, are we going to, are we going to, are we going to, you know, feed, feed 70,000? You know, what, what do you mean greater? I think it means greater, not by necessarily, as we talk about significance, but greater by fruit. He's like, I, 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 pre- I preach to the, you, you 12 and I'm even going to lose one of you. 
And I mean, you know, preach to larger crowds, yes, but I mean, you guys are going to take this message to the world, to which I would say, when Jesus says, you're going to do greater things in your day, I would say that day has been continuing and it's even our day today. 7,500 in an hour. 650 languages translated. And we are still living in those days. And we will continue to live in those days until Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, then what? Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. And so here we are. We we find ourselves between the Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit, and the Spirit moving right? We, we, we're between that and the return of Jesus. And so may we not look at the old days and go, those were the good old days. What do you mean by the good old days? You mean the good old days when, when only 3,000 people came to faith in a day? The good old days when, when only 10 different languages were spoken? Or do we mean the good old days by 7,500 people come to faith in an hour. The gospel being preached in hundreds of languages. You see, my prayer is that the Spirit would do something new. The Spirit would do something new in this church. The Spirit would do something new in this, this city, this, 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 this country, this world. And this is what we see. The Spirit will do new things. And we are still in the midst of it. Revival is happening. And I pray that revival would happen with us. And so this is why I was like, I just want you to be encouraged. Because we are living in these days. God's Spirit is moving. And, and, and it's not just something that happened at Pentecost, but it's happened increasingly so. And we get to be the witnesses of them. And so as Jesus says, we saw last week, It's by my power you will be my witness. You will tell of my stories. And what we see today is an increasing of that power and an increasing of that story. And so may we step into the increasing of that power to tell the increasing of his story. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your spirit is moving. We thank you that your spirit is on on his move. We pray that it would. We pray that there would be revival. Revival in our city. Revival in this country. Revival in this world. But it would not be on our terms. It would not be by our plan or our design because we crafted something. But just because you decided to, new, you decided to move in a new way and do a new thing. And we, I pray like all revivals that it would be the proclamation of your gospel, that it would start with the proclamation of Jesus, of who you are and what you have done for us on the cross, that your revival would start with the proclamation of your gospel, the telling of your works, and that it would move people into repentance, a turning around and coming to you, that your spirit may indwell them as well. For we cannot have a Christian country 
just because people follow Christian laws. But we will only have a Christian nation, a Christian people, when the people that populate it are populated by your Spirit. Let us not, let us not settle for one that looks like your Spirit. May us only settle for people that are indwelled by your Spirit. May revival happen and, and continue to move forth. Thank you that you have allowed us to see the day and to see the days that the apostles longed for, that the prophets spoke of. And may we continue to see that day until either you call us home or you return. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.